Well, what a treat and an honor for me to be with you on a Sunday morning. Uh, most of you will know that I do a lot of my concentration of preaching and teaching at the five o'clock and seven o'clock, so normally I'm still in bed. Oh, you know that's not true, but it's great to be with you. And our senior minister, as you've heard, is in Marseille in France, so keeping it, keep him in your prayers. He'll be back with us um, next weekend. Well, if you have your Bibles with you, I'd like you to turn, please, to the book of Romans and chapter 1. And we will be starting in a few moments in verse 15. The title of my message today is, I am not ashamed. And it was so wonderful to see those guys earlier, because they're not ashamed of the gospel. And uh, the way that they wrap and put the message across is upbeat and relevant, but the content is hardcore gospel. And that's why we're excited about the young ones coming through, the lions and the lionesses, who are going to be the next generation of Holy Ghost fire-breathing Kensington Temple ministers. Isn't that great? Well, I'm going to put behind us just a short presentation uh, in, in introduction to I Am Not Ashamed of the Gospel. And uh, on the Evangelical Alliance, the Evangelical Alliance is doing such a wonderful job. It represents so many denominations and churches, and we are part of it as a church and denomination. And up on their website, and you can Google it and find it, uh, they did a survey on how people were confidently sharing the gospel. And they did a survey amongst evangelicals from different denominations. And you can get the full brief and the full PowerPoint. You go on Evangelical Alliance website, go to publications. And if this interests you, there's a lot more that you can get. But here are a few highlights in introduction to my message today. A few snapshots, if we could have the first one in this survey. And uh, you can see in this survey, 97% of evangelicals believed that Jesus is the only way to God. I hope there's no 3% here today in Kensington Temple. Amen. 72% said that they had come to faith in Christ before they were 20 years old. That's why we need to release the young lions and lionesses. Now, how many people, just out of interest, here and in the coronet, the lower hall, lift your hand if you came to Christ before you were 20 years old? Wow, that was a long time ago for some of us. Amen. So that's quite a few. So that just tells you something. Another, another snapshot. 81% have seen friendship evangelism work effectively. That's where the gospel works. In our workplaces, our homes, our family, our friends. But friendship has to have the gospel in it too. 29% of those surveyed had, in the last week, become involved in a conversation about some aspect of Christian belief with non-Christians. wonder how many of you had a conversation with a non-Christian to do with the gospel last week. Next one, please. 19% had, in the last month, played an active part in an event or meeting aimed at attracting seekers or fringe people to hear the gospel. 94% agree that nurturing disciples and getting new Christians established in church life is just as important as getting them to make a commitment. That's why we have our cell vision here at Kensington Temple. We're not just here to make decisions. We're here to make 
disciples. Jesus said, go into all the world, make disciples, not just decisions. And the cell vision is the perfect way for us all to be discipled in the things of God. 60% said they'd felt they had missed out on a chance to speak to others about God in the past four months. I wonder how many doors of opportunity God puts before us each week. And if we're not ready or alert, we can pass by those doors of opportunities. Don't pass them by. Let's go through. God is ready to save. And then finally, in this tiny snapshot, to get the full thing online, 48% of these Christians surveyed said that they were, at least to some extent, feel, I am just too scared to talk about my faith with non-Christians. 48%, I'm just too scared to talk about my faith with non-Christians. And this leads me into our passage today, Romans chapter 1, verse 15. Paul speaking to the church in Rome. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Now here we see that Paul speaking about the gospel, about not being ashamed, and the reason that he's not ashamed. And it's interesting how he uses the word for, for, for. There is a logical progression in his argument here. Just highlight the fours as I read this again. I'm ready to preach the gospel to you in Rome also, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation, for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. It's a flow of understanding, and I hope to unpackage some of that with you here today. Now, Paul was speaking to the Romans, and he says, I'm ready to preach. And the reason I'm ready to preach and share the gospel in Rome is because I am not ashamed of the gospel. It's interesting that he speaks about the negative rather than the positive. Because couldn't he have said this, for I am proud of the gospel of Christ. He could have said that. He could have said, I'm ready to preach because I am proud, confident of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God. But he chose to put it, I am not ashamed. Why would he do that? It's because he was dealing with some Christians at the time, maybe the 48% that we were looking at today, that were ashamed in some way or form of sharing the gospel. You may not be ashamed of receiving the gospel. You may not be ashamed of the gospel in your own homes or your own cell groups. But he was talking about people sharing the gospel. And he said, I am not ashamed. What is it that causes us to be ashamed of the gospel? And it wasn't just normal Christians or average Christians that you might say that were ashamed of the gospel. Even Timothy 
His close associate had to be encouraged not to be ashamed of the gospel. In 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 6, we read this. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 6. Paul speaking to his associate Timothy. Therefore I remind you, Timothy, to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. He doesn't finish there though. Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings of the gospel according to the power of God. So Paul is saying, look, Timothy, don't be ashamed of the gospel. Stir up the fires of the Holy Spirit. In other words, pray in tongues. Believe God's word. Get in the prayer closet. Get alongside some fiery cell members. And if they're not fiery, you fire them up. And do not be ashamed. And, and remember that God has not given us a spirit of? Fear. Say after me, God has not given me a spirit of fear. But he's given me a spirit of boldness. Amen. And then he says, and don't be ashamed of me. Why would he be ashamed of Paul? Because Paul at that time was languishing in prison in house arrest. It looked like Paul's ministry was over. It, everybody was laughing. He's failed. Oh, the big preacher man who's going to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Well, we soon sorted him out, imprisoned in a house. What a ridiculous. God can't even save Paul from prison. And people were laughing and making fun. And Paul says, don't be ashamed of me. Don't, don't, don't be ashamed of me and the apparent weakness of my situation. Because in it, the power of God is displayed. And when we come back to Romans chapter 1, verse 16, and he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why, Paul? Why aren't you ashamed? Why aren't you embarrassed? Why aren't you fearful? Because he understood that the gospel, the good news of Christ, is the power of God. This is why people are fearful and embarrassed to share the good news. Because they're forgetting that it is God's power. And they are focusing on the offense or the ridicule that can sometimes come with the gospel. You know, Paul was speaking to the Romans in the great capital city of the empire, Rome. And they needed to say this because, you see, people will ridicule the gospel they do today. Why is this? Well, in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, you know, when I came to you, Corinthians, I chose to know nothing else but Christ and Christ crucified. That is the gospel. Christ crucified. Christ raised from the dead. I chose to know nothing. I just preached Christ to you. Do you know the gospel is not a philosophy? It's not, it's not, it's not even moral commandments. The gospel is a person. Jesus Christ, son of the living God. Walked on this earth, ministered on this earth, died on the cross and rose again and sitteth at the right hand of the Father as I speak. That is the gospel. Um, but the gospel is an offense. He said, the Jews looked for a sign, but the Greeks for wisdom. But I preached 
Christ. And in Rome were all the great schools, all the great philosophers. It was the center of the empire, all the glory and might of Rome, all the brilliance of the arts, all the power of the emperor. Anybody who was anybody was in Rome. It was the driving force of the world system. And he said, don't worry. He said, don't worry about being in Rome. Don't be intimidated by the media. Don't be intimidated by the cleverness and the arguments of the politicians and the famous people and the so-called movers and shakers. Don't be embarrassed when they speak against the church and talk about us like we're some outdated religion. You see, the message of the gospel was about a, a child born in a shed, born in a tiny little place called Bethlehem, not Rome, brought up in Nazareth, not, even, not a rich man, not even middle classes, but the lower middle classes, trained to be a carpenter, trained in the carpentry things, walking around a Jewish preacher. And that would be despised in the thinking of Rome. They would be saying, what philosophy have you got to bring us? What new teaching? What, what special sort of thinking? Do you remember when Paul was in Athens? And they were all philosophizing and trying to figure out what was best for the world. And Paul came and he said, I, I come with the gospel. Oh, what new philosophy is this? It's not a philosophy, it's a man. His name is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He died and he rose again. And the moment that he said that he rose again, they started to mock him. They said, what is this? How can a man who died and rose again be the answers to the problems of the world? And London is Rome today. London is Rome today. And it's easy, it's easy to be intimidated by the so-called politicians, media, clever people, if you want to put it that way. Isn't it funny that God doesn't often choose the clever? But he chooses the humble, the lowly, the voiceless, those that aren't recognized in this world, those that aren't on the radio programs and the TV programs, and thank God for every Christian that is, but those that aren't, those that aren't. He seeks those, because out of the... Will you please be quiet? And out of those, he uses them for the gospel's sake. And so, he was encouraging them not to be ashamed of the gospel, the ridicule that will come. Why? Because the power is stronger than the ridicule. In weakness, Paul said, I preached the gospel. In weakness. He didn't come here with flashy preaching. You know what I'm saying? didn't come there with flashy preaching. The power was in the message, not the messenger. Although the messenger can do a lot to let that power flow. And people are looking, well, they're looking for the, the latest preacher. But the gospel is what saves, the gospel. And this, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is the power of God. It, the gospel, the good news, is the power of God. The gospel doesn't tell us about the power of God. It is the power of God. The gospel doesn't have a content that helps us know how we can get saved or what we should do. The gospel is the saving power. And how does the gospel save? When it's shared. When the gospel is shared, whether from a pulpit or in a stadium or in a pub, or a club, or in a home, or a house, or a coffee bar, 
or at work or at school, when the gospel, the good news of who Jesus is, is shared, power is released. It's the sharing of the gospel. That's why he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God. Well, what is the gospel? Well, I've mentioned the gospel is Jesus. The gospel is the facts of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. God incarnate, born of a virgin. But let me take you. I'm going to show you the gospel in a nutshell. So you know what I'm talking about. Because when we share this, power is released. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. Galatians chapter 4. Verse 4. We call this the gospel in a nutshell because it is the facts of the gospel of Jesus Christ in its irreducible form. Okay, here is the gospel. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem, to buy back those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth his spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God, through Christ." That's the gospel. That's the gospel. And the devil wants to stop the gospel from being shared. This is what this is all about. This is the fight, friends. The fight is the ungodly trying to stop the gospel getting out. And behind that is Satan himself. Because he knows that a gospel unshared is a powerless gospel. A gospel unshared is a powerless gospel. But a gospel shared is is the power of God to salvation for all that believe. And you see, in order to understand what I'm talking about, we have to have a Christian worldview. Would you say, what do you mean? Do you know, everybody has a view of the world, of how it works, about how the world is set up. Everybody has a worldview. And the prevalent worldview at the moment in London and Britain is a secular worldview. And we could go into that in a bit more detail, and later on in the year we're going to have a whole day's training on this. But this secular worldview basically says this. It separates the spiritual from the natural. So it's like this. Well, whatever faith you have, whatever your belief spiritually, that's your personal preference. You keep it to yourself. We don't want to know about that because it's just your preference. It's not true. It's not real. It's just your preference. Some of you are Muslim. Some of you are Christian. Some of you are Hindu. Some of you are Buddhist. That's fine in the privacy of your own room. But don't bring that and tell us that's the way to run society. Don't tell us that that you have the key to what marriage is all about. That's your personal preference. You keep that silent, thank you very much. We don't want to hear about it in schools. We don't want to hear it in workplaces. We don't want signs of the cross in aeroplanes. You keep that to yourself, okay? You keep it to yourself. What we believe in is that there is no God and that God has no part, therefore, to play in our thinking about society or about the world. And so we will make our decisions without God. 
So there's a separation that's brought in there between the spiritual and the natural. And many Christians have believed the lie. They've believed the lie. And many Christians uh, have taken their spiritual views and said, well, it's my personal view. And you believe the lie of the enemy. Well, we're going to help you more and more to break out of that false demonic philosophy. So you say, well, what is a Christian worldview? Well, here is the basic Christian worldview for you. And you need to know the Christian worldview for you to understand the power of the gospel. And the Christian worldview can answer all questions that are thrown our way. So when you're trying to figure out the arguments of this, that, and the other, then just think of the Christian worldview. What is the Christian worldview? It's three things. It is creation, fall, and redemption. Creation, fall, and redemption make sense of everything. So when someone comes to you and says, I can't believe in a God, not when there's cancer in this world, earthquakes in this world, starvation, wars. I can't believe in a God who created a world like this. You say, well, I'm a Christian. I don't believe God did create the world like this. I believe that the God created the world and when he looked at it, he said everything was good. I don't believe God created the world with sickness, dying, cancer. I don't believe that God created the world with sin and destruction. When God created the world, the lion lay down with the lamb and everything was perfect and everything was good. That's our belief system. But then we know somewhere along the way in the story, it all went wrong. Man fell. The fall. The fall. Adam and Eve and the whole of mankind within them turned against God and rebelled. And there was an almighty fall. And not only did man fall, but the whole world fell with him. How many of you know something's wrong with the world? How many know there's something wrong with society? How many know there's something wrong with the church? It's the fall. It's the fall that's the problem. And so we understand that things aren't as they should be. Things are broken. Thing, good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people. And everything is crazy and even the natural world is fallen. It's a mess. But that's not the end of the story. The good news of the gospel is God is in the redeeming, restoring business. And he began his work of redemption and restoration at every level. From creation right through to politics, society, family. He began it by sending his son. The good news of Jesus Christ. And so salvation, when it, in regard to man, means this. It means we have had an almighty deliverance. That's why the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is the power of God. Because when it is shared, even if it's whispered, in a tract, whatever way you share the gospel, whether you're rapping or tracting or whatever you're doing, the gospel's getting out and the gospel is releasing deliverance power. And what is it delivering from? It has the power to deliver from sin. The guilt of sin, deliverance is in the gospel. The power of sin, you can be delivered by the good news. When the good news is shared, it has power to deliver you from guilt of sin, power of sin, and the pollution of sin. As you share it, the power is released. When you share the gospel, power is released. Power is being released today, my friends. Amen. Saving, delivering power, being released. 
being released. And when you share it, it begins to overcome. And don't worry if you get a bad reaction. It's the power of God. Because the world doesn't like conviction power. And when you share the gospel in whatever way you're able, remember, if you're weak and feeble and fearful, you're the perfect candidate for the power of God to flood through if you share the gospel. The world hates, the darkness hates the light because the light illuminates the darkness. I'm going to end this sermon later on by, by reading on from this passage through the wrath of God, which is a revelation of the darkness of this present world without the gospel. But thank God the gospel doesn't just bring light and some people don't like it. When you, when you tell them it's sin, don't tell us it's sin. Don't tell us it's sin. Who are you to tell us it's sin? I am nobody, but Jesus Christ can tell you what sin is and deliver you from it. That's the gospel. So the guilt and condemnation of sin, everybody is guilty. Paul will, right in the next chapter 2 and chapter 3 of Romans, spend most of his time proving that we're all guilty. All of us have gone astray, turned to our own way. None of us are at the level of the glory of God. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's what Paul's going to demonstrate. And we are guilty before God. Guilty of his wrath and deserving of his eternal punishment. But thank God the gospel is the power of God of salvation to all who believe. And if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and raised from the dead, you, my friends, are saved for eternity. Delivered from guilt and its consequences of eternal damnation in the flames and fires of hell. Also, it delivers us from the power of sin. Paul will say later, if you, the gospel will deliver you from enslavement. We saw that in the gospel in a nutshell from Galatians 4. It said, so you're no longer slaves but sons. Do you want to be a slave of this present world system? Do you want to be a slave of the fallen, broken world? Do you want to be a slave of Satan that works in the hearts of the sons and daughters of disobedience? You want to be a slave for the rest of your life? Or do you want by the gospel to be delivered from the kingdom of darkness and sin into the kingdom of God, the kingdom of light, and you can be a child of God, adopted and delivered from the power and from the guilt of sin. But the gospel does even more than that. It has power to drive out the pollution of sin. Hallelujah. Sin is a pollution. It is a twisted, unclean perversion of man and woman that were made in the image of God. And when we preach the gospel, it has delivering power. As I'm preaching the gospel today, if you believe, then you will receive power to overcome sin in your present life. Oh, no wonder Paul said, I am not ashamed. How could I be ashamed in my weakness? In your mockery of my message, I will continue to share. Because it is the power released. Don't let the devil shut you up. Amen. Don't be 48, the 48%. Be the 52% that speak it, speak it, speak it. Share it, speak it. Share it, speak it. Share it, speak it, and you'll see the power. Because the gospel unshared is the gospel with no power. Now, if you look at the uh, history of of Britain, you will see there are times when the church stops sharing the gospel or it gets the message mixed up 
with a false gospel. And during those times, Britain backslides. I've written a book called Land of Hope and Glory, British Revivals Through the Ages. And you can get that for three pounds on your way out if you want to. And you can see the cycle. You can see the cycle. Dudley, can you help me? You can see the cycle of revivals and darkness and what happens. And time and time again in Britain, what takes place is that the gospel is no longer shared. And so darkness falls on the land. But then what happens is, a new people are raised up that begin to share the gospel. Not one or two, but the people of God begin to share. And as the gospel is once again shared in the streets and the byways and the cafes, etc. As the gospel is shared, and you just share it to those that are around you. As the gospel is shared, the power of God is released again. And drives back the forces of hell and the forces of sin. So I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God to salvation for everyone. Isn't that amazing? No one's beyond the power of the gospel. Don't give up. Don't make a mental judgment in your mind that this person's not going to be getting saved. Who'd have thought you'd have ever got saved? Yeah, and some of you really know what I'm talking about. You saw the power of God in your own life. You remember what you were like. Not all of us had the benefit of being brought up in the faith. You know what you were like. You know, some of you, what your resistance was like. But someone shared. And it was the sharing that released the power into your life. Power enough to raise your dead soul to life. Power enough to cause you on the inside to be born again from above. Praise the Lord. And so... I'm not ashamed of the gospel, but the power of God for everyone who believes the Jew first and also the Greek. Next, for in it, what? The gospel. The righteousness of God is revealed. Revealed. What does it mean in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed? Sounds a very technical phrase. Well, how many people have heard of Martin Luther? Not Martin Luther King. He was a great Christian. But going a few centuries back, Martin Luther number one. Number two did quite well. Number one, Martin Luther, the great reformer. And when he read this passage, he struggled with it. He, he was a lawyer. He was a professor of theology. He was a priest and a monk. He, he had such a brain. But you see, he couldn't understand this verse, the righteousness of God is revealed. Why? Because the righteousness of God is a revelation. It is a work of the Spirit. And so he's thinking about this, and he's looking at the right, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. And he's looking at it thinking, what does the righteousness of God mean? This must mean, he thought, God's character. And God is, the righteousness of God is so holy, so perfect. And the next verse talks about the wrath of God. And God is so high, so lofty, so perfect hatred of sin his standards are just so high I couldn't even understand the standards of God and how can I attain the standards of God to be accepted by him how can I climb up with my prayers and my fasting and my good works and, and my pilgrimages how will I ever ascend to the mountain of the Lord with, with such dirty hands the righteousness of God is revealed and he said this, I can never attain this level. He said, 
I wished God had not made the gospel known because the fuller revelation of the righteousness of God made me even more hopeless and helpless. The righteousness of God blocked the way. Can you see his problem? But God visited Luther and through visiting Luther with a fresh revelation, he also visited Europe and then the world. And today we're sitting in these seats as a, partly as a product of what happened to Luther when he read this verse. And God turned his understanding around by the Holy Spirit. Because then he finally saw the link. He said, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. And like a lightning bolt of revelation, it entered in his spirit. That the righteousness of God is this. Number one, it's a righteousness. The righteousness of God, number one, is a righteousness that comes from God as a gift to us. And then secondly, the righteousness of God is a righteousness that satisfies God on our behalf. What do you mean? A righteousness that comes from God as a gift. Well, Luther was looking at the high standards of God in order to be accepted. And how did he know the standards of God? Because he looked at the law. The law of Moses reveals to us the high standards of God in all things. And the more you look at how the law reveals the righteousness of God's standards, the more you realize that you'll never pass that exam. And Luther tried with all his might to pass the exam of the law through fastings and prayers and good works. And in order to pass the standards of God, you've got to get 100% in your final examination. And there's no retakes. And Luther was like thinking, do you know what? I'm doing my mocks. I'm doing my mocks. Anybody doing their mocks at the moment? For Jesus? I'm doing my mocks. I'm getting like 3 4%. And I'm top of the class. And God's stand is, the pass mark is 100% in the law. That's why he was so depressed. Then he realized that the good news is this, is that God sent his son, born of a virgin, we read in Galatians 4, but also born under the law. God sent his son, a human, born of a virgin, but also under the law. Jesus, God said, you'll never meet my standards, so I'm going to give you my righteousness. Imagine if uh, this summer when Oxford University was doing its graduation and you were invited to receive your PhD. You hadn't done anything, but you were invited to receive it. So there you are with everybody else waiting for your PhD. And the person next to you said, oh, it's taken me six years to come to this place. <laughs> getting my PhD. Are you getting your PhD? I'm getting my PhD. How did you get it? Oh, it's a gift. A gift, yeah. Oh, well, a man from Galilee sat the final examination on my behalf and put my name on the top. Oh, and he got 100%. Amen. Well, that's what happened in life, in righteousness, in the exam of righteousness. Luther failed it. He was getting three or four percent. And then he recognized that Jesus had come on his behalf, on your behalf, on my behalf, and said, you can't do it, but I'll do it for you. 
And he lived under the law all his life, 24-7. He was taking that test and he was acing that test. He was a star in everything that he did. And then on the cross, he said, I have finished the work. I have passed the test 100%. But now I'm going to take the failure of humanity that failed the test. And I'm going to do a divine transaction. I took the test. But on the cross, friend, if you believe, you get the grade. The grade of God. Oh, come on. Come on. You get the grade. You pass the test. Jesus did it for you. And all he said, you want the righteousness of God, it's a gift. You can be as holy before God as I am. I've taken the test with my own blood. I purchased the, 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 the certificate. And now you are saved. And Luther saw that and said, my God, a righteousness that comes from God. And how do we receive it? From faith. From faith to faith. From the faithfulness of Jesus received to our faith. Only believe. You can be a four-year-old and get saved. You don't have to take the test that Luther was trying to do. Jesus took it for you. Just trust in the Lord. Believe he died and rose again. And you have the righteousness of God. You're not clothed in your own rags or your own efforts. You're clothed in the very righteousness of God. When God looks at you, you're as sinless and perfect as God, as Jesus in Christ. In Christ. Now we've got to work on Christ in us, but we are in Christ. And that's a good starting place to be. So, the release of the gospel. And you know what? This nation and our friends, they need to hear the gospel. Because without hearing the gospel, they can't get saved. Unless we share the gospel, people won't get saved. But if we do share, save the gospel, share the gospel, they will get saved. They will get saved. Do not be ashamed with such power. Yes, it's going to look weak. Yes, at times in appearance, you're going to feel like you missed it. But don't you realize it's the very weakness that rele releases the power? It's the, it's the very trembling that releases the power. Amen? I mean, yesterday, for example, I was... Um, Speaking at a wedding, I wasn't here at Kensington Temple, it was a, at a church near where I went. And that was an interesting experience because everybody except myself, my wife, my family, me, uh, and the bride and the, the person taking the service were saved and nobody else was. And what had happened, what had happened here is a beautiful girl had uh, a friend of our family, she got saved many years ago, and, um, but she hadn't really kept up with the faith so much, she's a believer, but you know, she lived with a boy, she's been living with a boyfriend for three years, but she, but she knew enough about God to want to get married at the church, so the church, instead of like, just saying, get lost, you're living in sin, worked with what they'd got, and now, uh, and so we come to a place where she's saved and he's nearly saved, it's not ideal, I'm glad it wasn't at KT and I had to deal with it, but they were working with the gospel, do you see what I mean? And so there we were, and half the family came down from Yorkshire. Now, I came down from Yorkshire 22 years ago and I haven't gone back up since, praise the Lord. <laughs> Except for fleeting visit. So I'm looking, I, I am sitting in the corner waiting for my 10 minute speech. Um, and I am like nervous. And my mouth keeps getting dry. And the more I drink water, the drier it gets. And I'm looking at these Yorkshire men and women and I'm getting flashbacks. Flashbacks are the worst kind. And then someone says, yeah, yeah, we got you on a great table. And uh, it's wonderful because on the table is a family from your hometown, Harrogate. 
And I'm like, and then, and then the devil says, oh yes, a prophet has no honor in his hometown. <laughs> and I thought, oh God, fear and trembling. And I'm thinking, because you know, I tell you what, if your hometown is in the home counties, it's not so bad. Because you might not get honour, but they'll be polite about it. But if your hometown is in Yorkshire, they're not going to be polite about it. That's why I moved down south. And so, anyway, I get up and I start to speak about the wedding. And immediately I'm getting heckled by the best man who's still drunk from the night before because they'd be drinking till five. So he's heckling, so I'm dealing with the heckling, you know, and rolling with the punches and everything like that. And so I'm, I'm bringing in some like football jokes and I'm getting like heckled by some of them, cheered by other ones and I'm thinking, oh God, it's kicking off. I want to go back to KT. Why did I ever accept this? This isn't even my church. And so I'm, so, I'm there. But then, then we get through that and then I begin, I begin to, I, I ask him a question and it, and it was enough to silence any Yorkshireman. I said, to, I said well, the answer was, I said to them, I said, what was Jesus' first miracle? What do you think it was? What do you think Jesus' first miracle was? Do you think it was a healing? Do you think it was a feeding of the 5,000? Do you think it was a raising of the dead? Well, I'm going to shock you this morning. I'm going to read you a passage of Scripture, and you'll find that Jesus' first miracle was at a wedding, and it was to replenish an empty bar. Can I get an amen? And the whole lot of them said, Amen. They've never been in a... They'd never even been in a church, but they knew how to sit. I tell you what, there's an amen deep inside of every person. You just got to know how to get it. He replenished an empty bar. And, they, and immediately they're listening to the rest of it because Jesus has an open free bar. And if you're from Yorkshire, that's good news. It is the gospel. And so I read the passage. And then I went to the other passage in Ephesians and started reading, you know, wives submit to your husbands. Oof. So the groom is there, and I'm reading the passage. Wives, submit to your husband in all things and all that bit. And he's like, and I look, and I notice, he's going. <laughs> he's literally going. He's not even saved it, nearly saved, but that was getting him there. He's like this. And I said, you like that bit, don't you? Yeah. I said, well, here's your bit. And husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it. And I went on to read and said, your job is to bring out the best of God in your wife, to make sure that everything that God has planned for her comes to pass, and if necessary, lay down your life, your thoughts, your needs for her. And the place was silent. I hadn't even, but in a good way, I hadn't even, I hadn't got to the cross. You see, the gospel was being preached. Truth, truth, truth. And then later on in the day, you know, we had conversations with people, and, and, and two of the men went to my wife, didn't go to me, but they went to my wife. I'm sitting, I'm sitting with these two Yorkshire blokes. You know what I mean? I'm thinking, what's going on here? You know, do I need to defend her? You know, <laughs> what are they up to? Because um, the, the beer was flowing. Jesus, Jesus was not needed at that bar. <laughs> and then afterwards she said, they were absolutely fascinated because they'd never been in a church before. And they were like, are you Christian? We never heard. It was, it was, it was a 10-minute thing. We've, we never heard anything like that or anybody like that. We never, what is, are you, what is this? And I thought, my God, we have a great Britain that has never heard the gospel. Totally unchurched. Totally unchurched, these guys. It was like, 
And some of them, you know, when I saw how old they were, and I thought, you've never heard the gospel. And do you know what, friends? They were so hungry and thirsty for the Lord. Above all that, Yorkshire bravado, and thank God I'm back in London today. But above all that bravado and, and you know, all that sort of stuff I had to get through, all I did was read about the wedding in Cana and talk about marriage vows and that marriage was God's idea, not man's idea, and they were drinking it in. That, that something spiritual was taking place. Don't believe the enemy. Don't be put off by those who seem resistant because there is a nation that will be saved if only we all do our bit and not ashamed and share the gospel for it's the power of God. Now I'm going to finish now by finishing in context this passage. The gospel is so powerful. But when I read what the wrath of God, because this nation is under the judgment of God. And the only thing that's going to stop the judgment of God getting greater and more powerful in Britain and Europe is the release of the gospel through your mouth and mine it's the power of God. Let me show you the wrath of God on this nation and on this city. Let me show you what God thinks of this city and this nation. But remember, the first verse is about the power of the gospel that can change it. And on this, I close. For, uh, so, as much as in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation. For everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful. But they became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. And changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible men and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanliness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. Who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forevermore. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for that which is against nature. Likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of women, burned in their lust for one another. Men with men committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind 
to do the things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-minded. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God and those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are. That's the wrath of God. But I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for all that believe and can turn the wrath of God and the judgment of a nation into salvation and glory for Jesus. We have got a great work to do and we are going to do it. If you believe it, give the Lord a clap offering.